welcome to the It's Record Time podcast. I am your host, Alex, and this is the show where each week I am joined by a different guest to discuss their favourite albums, biggest influences, and the bands that they love. This week, I was joined by guitarist and keyboardist Chris Young. Chris is best known for playing the psychedelic porn crumpets and is also a solo artist under the name Chip Hazard. Chris very kindly stepped into this interview at the last minute, so I'm extremely grateful for him for that. When we spoke, it was a couple of days before Christmas 2020, and we had a great chat about playing shows during COVID, stealing your parents' records, and what Crumpets' plans are for 2021 and beyond. Crumpets have a new album coming out on the 6th of February, and I'm very excited for it. My pre-order has been in for a few weeks, and I can't wait for that to arrive on my doorstep in a few days' time as well. I'm going to stop talking now, and I'm just going to let you listen to the show. I'll be back at the end with some more chat, as well as some information about how you can win some stuff. So that's nice. Until then, enjoy! So, how are you today? I'm good. I'm a bit burnt out, actually. <laughs> I just had a big, like, you know, the, like, last Christmas. Everyone's trying to book. Actually, sorry. I should say, we're lucky enough to be playing a few gigs over here in Perth. So, so have you been able to play in the last sort of few weeks, then? Yeah. Um, we have, we've got a Christmas Eve show coming up and a New Year's Eve show coming up with Crumpets. Been playing a few other gigs for few other bands around Perth and my solo stuff and this, that and whatever. And now I've got to Monday and feeling a bit, <laughs> a bit <laughs> haggard. As we record this, uh, we're a couple of days out from Christmas. Have you got any anything mm. fun planned for Christmas? Obviously, you said you're playing a New Year's e- a Christmas Eve show. Yeah, that's going to be so good. Um, two bands on the lineup. Like, we're all really good mates with them as well. But, you know, one of the bands that's playing called... Um, Grievous Bodily Calm, and I think, like, probably, you know, they're going to explode in the Australian market anytime soon, but it's just, like, this explosion of, like, new forms of jazz with, like, just ridiculous chops from every player, and I think that's just, like, my little Christmas, like, bringing in, get to watch Grievous and then go up and do our thing as well, so it's pretty good. Pretty good Christmas present for ourselves, yeah. Being able to play a gig is just a Christmas present in itself as well. So, well, I was going to ask, how have you found sort of having more downtime than usual in 2020? Because obviously, I know that um, Porn Crumpets were out touring for most of 2019. Um, yeah, it was brutal. you were meant to be touring. Yeah, <laughs> presumably you were meant to be touring a lot this year as well. Yeah, just everything kind of hit the wall. We had, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ocean Alley. No, not off the top of my head. Pretty big on the Australian market, but we were going to, first thing off the ranks this year, we were going to, um, you know, follow them around the country and do some pretty big rooms and things. So oh, that was, that's been obviously now postponed like four times or something. And now we're looking at tail end of 20, 2021. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think for touring wise, we had, we had things in the works, obviously, but it's all just, I think, got the question marks until we can resketch and hopefully do it and get over there. But How are you with downtime? Are you someone that's able to actually relax or are you um, clawing at the walls slightly? Um, 
I don't know about relaxed, but definitely, <laughs> definitely. I think we're all pretty productive in our own little hidey holes over here. Like mm. we've all got our own little, as well as crumpets, we're all doing other things like music things or teaching. Like you know, um, myself and Rish have both been working on lots of music outside of crumpets, and um, yeah, it's just been pretty. I wouldn't say uh, we're feeling comfortable. I think we're all chomping at the bit to go play some, like, you know, get on the road shows. Yeah. Not really, especially like Perth, you know, if you're going to play regional dates, it's like you're going to play like, you know, country, uh, country pubs to like hopefully 50 people if you're lucky. But yeah. Yeah. So obviously you spent, Mm, a chunk of this year working on your solo stuff but also there's a fourth Porn Crumpets album coming out in yes. about five weeks time Shiger Sunlight Mound it's it's ready so. <laughs> <laughs> how's the uh, how's the process of uh, writing and recording that been uh, it's made, yeah it's, well, Jack's obviously been able to hone in on his um, his his bedroom stylings and how he likes to <laughs> get all those demo layers down and things like came together probably probably quicker than the release kind of you know suggests yeah i think we got finished quite earlier in the year but we've been kind of piecing together pieces for the next album already kind of slowly working on the follow-up to this one so I think like the 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 writing phase of Shiger was sort of the first half of the year, closing yeah. out all those mixes and things, and yeah, now we're just still trying to look, you know, a couple of steps ahead still, in some respect, however that looks. The follow up then that you mentioned is this the Sir Norton Gavin thing. <laughs> Yeah, loose, yeah, yeah, loose working title, that one. Okay, can you tell us a bit about that, the concept behind that? Because I've, I've heard very loose sentences about it, and it sounds ridiculous and brilliant. Um, loosely, I think it's a, we're, we're going to do a best of album of, hmm. of an artist. Uh, it goes by the name Norton Gavin, knighted Norton Gavin, so Norton Gavin. And... Um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. We really like all the music Norton's been given through the years. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a surprise for all of us, I think. <laughs> that one. So, Sir, so Sir Gavin is—he's uh, a fictional guy, right? How how straight do you have to play this, or how straight do you have to play this concept now? Do you have to sort of go? Full. No, no, he's real, and he's been around for fifty years. I think it's best we like, try to avoid the question altogether, and then I mean, Jack's got this little, um, you know, Jack bought this brand new um, Fender. Uh, I think it's a Hot Rod Deluxe amp, just for like you know our rehearsals and gigging around Perth, and um, he has uh, got the little tag hanging off it and it's got Norton Gavin written on it. It's been on there for a while now and I'm just hoping that like, you know, people at shows like might see it and start snapping it and kind of like piecing together some sort of idea about this uh, Gavin, Norton Gavin. It's coming together. 
Uh, yeah, sound sound wise, I think we're going to try and hit his um, his best of seventies, eighties uh, rock shenanigans that he got up to through uh, those decades, and pick our favorite tracks of his and just do our best spin on it. So you mentioned that you've been doing some solo stuff. How's that been going? Have you got sort of plans for release on that or? Yeah, it's good. I'm actually going straight after this. I'm going over to Rish's and we're going to basically check check the final mix of um, my, you know, final mixes of my album, my, my second one. But I'm just going to like, I guess until we fully hit the road again, I'm just going to see how much more um, of that content I can help put out on my yeah. on my end but we'll see i don't have any real plans for it i'm just kind of it's more of like a documentation you know of like um yeah writing progression and just just where i'm taking that experiment to you know so how does that differ from the stuff you do with crumpets then oh uh, yeah it's um <laughs> it's worlds apart but it's it's more uh it's instrumental based stuff hmm. but it's uh I like to think of them as like tone paintings. So it's kind of like okay. that concept of um, fully like painting the picture for the listener with the the instruments doing a lot of the um, suggesting work about like what's to depict, like the emotions and background pine pieces and things. And it's, it's cool because it really lets me, um, yeah, dive in deep into like – those you know inner inner workings in the brain whatever i've i'd you know just kind of flesh out some really long form pieces as well you know like i don't think any of them are under seven minutes i don't think okay uh it'd be a this one's a 40 minute album which is like six tracks <laughs> and my first one was a 38 minute album with four tracks so yeah it's, that's kind of the long form thing i'm going for so you're recording that in Perth, right? Yeah, yeah. So the Perth music scene seems pretty wild and pretty exciting, and seems to have a lot going on. How does that invite? How does being in that environment impact you, sort of your solo stuff and the stuff you're doing with Crumpets as well? Yeah, it's uh, it's really. I want to say, I used to think of it as a really like super supportive um, bubble of music like a, a like a really rich pond of like mm. different artists that are like everyone's trying to jump out of this pond you know like at the same time and they're, they're coming at it with like different angles of like I think Perth just probably has the most um genre bending you know uh mashups of like yeah, yeah. things you probably don't expect to go together and Perth somehow like people are that hungry to try and get stuff out there and heard they're like really pushing pushing the boundary because it's just so hard like we're just also so far removed from the east coast bands you know like yeah it's yeah it's a whole nother world away really like if anything this this year it's strange because like of all places like perth seems to be like one of these little nuggets in the world that's still being putting on some shows and like keeping the borders shut and uh it just it just adds to the the majesty of Perth music. I think it's just, gonna, it's just keeps keeps uh, surprising everyone. 
Cool. Okay, I'm going to crack some with some records by other people. Uh, yeah. And some non, non-perf musicians in there as well. Um, the first category I want to talk about is the first album you purchased. Um, mm. Can you remember what it was and can you tell us what it was? I mean, I was one of, I, I was one of those guys who was lucky enough to uh, be given my dad's record collection when he realized that he couldn't be bothered putting him on the player anymore. He just liked to collect CDs now. Like he's gone backwards. I mean, we've gone backwards, but we've gone like even further back, you know, now he just wants to hear CDs, but um, he, you know, he gave me lots of like really old blues and rock stuff, but I, for whatever reason, the first record I went and purchased with my money um, vinyl was probably, yeah, that's CCR, uh, Cosmos Factory. It's just like, I'd like to think one day I'll just have a copy of all the CCI albums because I just, I like, <laughs> I'm unashamedly like such a, such a fanboy of that band. Just, yeah, that, that, that album as well. Like, I mean, it's, it's probably not my favorite CCI album, but I think like it was just one that I was like, oh, I gotta, I have to buy that album and it just turned out to be the first one. It was like, still, still love it today, you know. When this category comes up normally, it's normally something brilliantly embarrassing for someone. Or is, <laughs> is that like not embarrassing? Then this is, no, this is just like a great album. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm very much the same as you. Like, I, I, I really like CCR and, yeah, I think yeah. that, I think this, this is a really strong first thing to actually go out and buy. You know, it's not, you know, it's not some terrible night, you know, it's not Britney Spears or something because some people no. here have had, so... I my I can tell you what my first CD I bought was album. Is it it's, is it, it more is embarrassing? A, it's way more embarrassing. Oh, perfect! It's uh, where Ricky Martin's uh, "Living La Vida Loca." Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's um, I don't know how he spins that one. Got actually, to be honest. <laughs> it, was it not on the regular now? Is it not still sort of pride of place? No, no. I think that was just when I was like. You know, you stop spending money on those shitty uh, compilation records, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like the, uh, you're just like, oh, cool, I'll buy Shaggy Hot Shots or, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So how old were you when you picked up Cosmos Factory? Um, yeah, probably my vinyl collecting of my own accord, I suppose, started a bit later than just the general mm hoarding of vinyl but probably yeah 16 maybe so was there then you mentioned that you inherited a whole load of your dad's records like when he couldn't be able to play them anymore is your parents <laughs> music taste sort of similar uh, along these lines did you pick up like a lot of your influences from them yeah oh, definitely i yeah i probably don't give them enough credit for they they did well they did they have good music taste and um my mum still won't give me her records. She still likes to think that she's going to use them someday. But, yeah, my, you know, my dad would, um, you know, he likes, like, J.J. Kale and, like, a um, bit of, like, the old, uh, he showed me Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know. He has a few of those records. And, like, mum had, like, all the um, 80s Aussie rock styles you know like yeah very much rock and blues Hmm. fans so that was 
It was good. They weren't really Beatles fans or anything like that. No, you know, they didn't like they didn't like the Beatles. They didn't like like Prince. They didn't like no, they didn't like it. They just didn't have any of those records. You know, I yeah. went to go had to go out and buy like Stevie Wonder records myself or like um, yeah, they're more into the the rock and yeah. blues and country sort of. So when you were 16 and buying sort of um, CCR records and Stevie Wonder records and presumably Beatles and Prince records at that time as well. What other stuff were you picking up? Like when you were sort of, I, I feel when you're like about that age, it sort of, it, it forms a really important part of what your music taste becomes ultimately. Yeah. I, I, I always thought about it as like, I'd start with like, you know, the favorite albums, like they're just the tangible album I need to have. That I can open up, take out the sleeve, read the liner notes. It's like that's an album I've always listened to, but I just need to own it, you know. Um, So, yeah, some other things I was buying was just like, you know, some of the old classic Led Zeppelin vinyls. I think my dad gave me a copy of Dark Side, so that was, that's, you know, yeah, I I will, you know, I will say Dark Side is probably my favourite, favourite record of all time. Such a big influence on like my musical direction and tastes and so i'm going to move us on to the next category the next category is most recent purchase can you tell us what it what you picked up and where you picked it up um yeah i'd say the most recent i can't i think i brought them together though so Mm. sort of i'll I'll, I'll allow that (laughs) yeah (laughs) i went and bought a copy of bad bad not good's third album which is double LP, but I've been on the hunt for their second for, you know, I probably should just jump on Discogs and bite the bullet and buy a copy. The second was such a big um, influence for me, like that, that, that blending world of like the jazz guys really getting in with some of those rappers and like uh, watching like Tyler, the creator, like gravitate towards these jazz nerds out of, Toronto just like playing the, the tidiest, coolest, hippest version of new jazz, you know, and hip hop guys were loving it. So that's um I mean that's such a high production album, I think, that number three. But it sounds it sounds phenomenal. I love it. Um the other vinyl I bought with that that day was the uh was the Alice Coltrane album. Heaps of people have sampled this album. I think it's that journey in Sachin Dinanda. <laughs> journey in Sachin Dinanda. <laughs> yeah, I'm going I'm to trust your pronunciation on that. I'm not going to try. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's that's a wild album. That's that goes everywhere, really. It's also like it's not really one of those background sort of jazz records either. Like it just gets. I think people like can't help but like drop in on some of those wild sections in there as well. Like it's yeah. not just calm and nice heart music. It really does like get quite erratic and wild. It's cool. So obviously like both of those records are either like jazz or super jazz influenced. Uh, what is it about the genre that you like so much? Presumably when you come at it as sort of a, as a musician as well, that has an influence in it. Yeah, I don't know. I never, I, I never really studied jazz or anything mm. like that. But I think we all, 
like especially all of us in crumpets, like I think we all really, really, really respect and appreciate like jazz form and jazz techniques and things and like um even though I'll never like call myself a jazz guitarist, I definitely like to dabble into that sort of styling. But I think a lot of Jack's guitar lines as well, crumpet lines, like mm. even though they're rock licks, I think he just doesn't even know that he's just like pulling out some little jazz noodle that's got like all the dissonance and all the wrong notes. And that's, <laughs> but, but that's essentially just what jazz is really. It's not just like throwing paint in the wall and being like, hey, it's sick. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think then as like crumpets that sort of the appreciation of jazz comes a bit from the fact that you guys try and do different stuff? Yeah. Sort of I from listening to you guys' records and like following you guys for a few years, like you seem to not want to do the same thing as mm. anyone or as yourselves. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's why like you know, jazz jazz players were always like cutting edge of pushing that envelope of like you mm. haven't actually, you don't understand us just yet or, like, you haven't fully got a grip on what this is because we're going to, you know, throw a curveball out that just it keeps you guessing as well. It's very, yeah, very crumpest thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned your uh, solo stuff uh, at the start of the chat as well. and So that's instrumental. Um, mm. Presumably you listen to a lot of instrumental albums then both of these albums are instrumental. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't really think of it consciously that a lot of the stuff I listen to is instrumental, but hmm. there's there probably is, I'd say, way more than the majority of my personal catalogue of albums that I have would probably be instrumental albums, yeah. So you, you pick these two up on physical vinyl releases then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Alice Coltrane one's not a, it's not an original pressing. That would be... Yeah. That would be pretty nice, but yeah, no. It's, um, it's also just as nice to like pick up like a nice heavy 180 gram. Yeah, not gonna warp, not gonna, you know. So, so what is it then about that that physical release as opposed to having something on digital? Do you have like a, a like a massive expansive record collection, or is it like a select sort of few records, or is it? Yeah, well, I mean, I like the idea of just owning all my favorite records mm. in a tangible form like I it annoys me that like I look at my phone today and like I don't have anything in my music app in my phone anymore you know like I think that that's something also to do with I suppose my organization of my music library and whatever but um sometimes I just want to put like you know just pick up like oh I've got that just chuck some ACDC on fuck yeah just grab the TNT out <laughs> Chuck it on, wham, bam. No, I just like the tangible, the artwork, the mm. physical, like, you know, all this digital album stuff's great until, like, I don't know, servers crash, phone dies, like, where's that music now? So luckily we just keep it all on uh, un- unbreakable wax. Yeah. Yeah, just just you can't rely on your phone. Just need just need to have the album crate instead, so... It's a way to keep your music together, keep your ducks in line. <laughs> for the um, for the Porn Crumpets releases, then, do you get involved in things like number of variants, like 
different because I know that you guys release um, different variants, so different colors on the wax and mm. all sorts of like interesting little things. Do you get to get involved in that, or you sort of was that handled? Yeah, yeah. It's um, usually uh, Jack will be scoping out like the different splatters, and you'll like chuck it in for us to have a little like thoughts and mm. direction on uh, color schemes and. I think uh, the crumpets wax is taking its own sort of life and like this seems to have been from an early day like that um, enthusiast crumpets vinyl collector that I think they'll be severely disappointed when we bring out that plain black vinyl one day, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Just maybe not on Gavin's vinyl. Maybe that will just be all like the classic yeah yeah no colors no frills <laughs> plain album cover no colors yeah. maybe just um the way you get them into it is just go oh, there's only going to be a hundred on black everything else you know oh yeah be thousands on every other color but hundred on black then yeah that, that, yeah that, that will entice them in that's right that's how you get the real fans <laughs> yeah um, so I'm going to keep us on physical releases for a minute um and move us on to the next category which is favorite bootleg what have you gone for? Um, I think it's a bootleg, but I can't be positive. But it's a um, Queens of Stone Age, uh, their Songs for the Death record. I don't know if it's yeah. like a Euro bootleg or something, but it's. When did you get it? Yeah, probably about 10 years ago now. Almost certainly it's a bootleg then, because um, I've got this as well. I yeah. think it got a official release like a year ago on vinyl and i think it yeah that's had, like, right a really really that. really short run yeah um like when it first came out in like 2002 mm. ish um but yeah so i did the same as you i picked up a bootleg version of it um probably about eight years ago um so yeah it's probably it probably is a bootleg is that the one the the black cover instead with the um so mine's got the, the mine's a black cover with the translucent red wax um Oh, mine is red cover, red wax, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, mine's most certainly some Euro uh, random pressing from somewhere. But it sounds like it is the, it is, as far as yeah. I'm concerned, like it's the album. So tell us about that album. Yeah, that album, uh, that's Queens of the Stone Age, I think, are in my top three fave bands of all time. Yeah. It's just something. They're just something so raw and like just gnarly about how hear yeah, how Josh gets those those tones and stuff and like how it makes them gross in this pop music world. Like yeah, he's just been like, How gross can I make this song sound and everyone still wanna sing it, you know? Like <laughs> it's so great. And that album, like, you know, I Dave Grohl on on tubs like thank you okay yeah that's it <laughs> don't do another album after that that's great <laughs> yeah i love the uh, crooked vultures stuff as well but mm. um yeah i thought crooked vultures album was pretty on par with like either songs for the deaf or lullabies era josh yeah i got to see crooked vultures uh because they were only around for like an 18-month mm. period, I guess, where yeah, they to see them. But 
about 2010, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and it was so fucking good. Like, was... seeing Dave behind a kit is great anyway, but... Yeah, and John Paul Jones. Yeah. John Paul Jones came out with the uh, that massive uh, slide baritone weird thing yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. going on. Um, yeah, I, oh, I won't forget that gig ever. Yeah, it was incredible. I saw them in the UK. They were opening for ACDC, so it was just like... <sighs> This incredible, <laughs> like three hours of my life, four hours of my life. Yeah, it was 2010 ACDC. It's still not half bad. I think I saw <laughs> I, I saw ACDC in 2010. I think I saw Angus probably like hit like half the notes of the solo, and I thought that was yeah, pretty good. Yeah, I mean he's the, still he got on the ground still. He was still flailing <laughs> some legs so. Yeah. You say that if they do another tour, I'm still going to go. This is the worst thing. Uh, Did you pick up their new album? No, no. Um, yeah, I think the last one I listened to was Rock and Roll Train. Yeah, which no comment because yeah, it hurts. You know, <laughs> it hurts my childhood a little. <laughs> um, Malcolm Young's obviously. I, I think he's mm. like super big guitar influence on me just for his um okay his just his like his religion to the rhythm you know like he's just a powerhouse rhythm player and i think that's quite respectable rather than just a bunch of shred lords you know just coming up there and angusing it up like (laughs) it's not for me so on the uh queens of the stone age album like i agree i don't think they've put out a bad record i think this is probably my favorite record from them um and what i really love is that you've got mark uh what's his face on backing vocals as well from screaming trees yeah like yeah that. what's his name um uh mark lan lanagan yeah yeah lanagan yeah yeah, lanagan, lanagan, yeah. 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 he's incredible i i didn't get to see uh queen's percentage to a few years after this so i missed that sort of era where they were touring as those four guys and they were just wow. by all all, all degrees incredible but they're such a good live band so good i saw them last year i think moments mm. it was their villains tour and i think like i did not like i did not like what ronson did to that album i thought it was gross but um i did i did get to see those songs live and i was like hey if they get to play them like that live like they should have mm. done on the record then because they're they're I didn't appreciate the songs fully until I actually saw him play it. So it's interesting. The production on the album is quite. Um, it felt like someone had listened to like shitloads of eighties Bowie, <laughs> and like put that production over the top of it, which yeah. is quite weird. It wasn't the right flavor. No, I'd agree. And you're right. Live, those songs were better, a lot better. Mm. Oh yeah, the proper John Theodore. You know, like playing proper drum parts, you know, over those riffs. It was way more impactful that way. Yeah, I think we've got something new coming out next year, potentially. I've heard that they're in the studio at the minute, apparently, so I'm excited to see what they come up with. I don't know who's producing it this time. Probably Josh himself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So on bootlegs then, I'm a little bit interested in, like, as a musician, if someone put out, like, a Porn Crumpets bootleg, would Mm. you be flattered that someone had gone to the effort to do that or would you be sort of annoyed from like either a piracy point of view or 
I think it's an interesting relationship with bootlegs in that they seem to be acceptable, whereas pirating, just straight out pirating, isn't. Mm. Yeah, like I'm not mad at that guy, you know, guy or girl, yeah. whoever ended up pressing this Queens of the Stone Age bootleg. Like, I'm very much enjoyed it, to be honest. But yeah, <laughs> I don't really know what's involved in that process. Like, I don't know how much. Like, it depends. I mean, there's, you know, that's the thing with the crumpets vinyls. Like, you can go on eBay and see yeah. some first pressings on there. And I'm like, wow, like, I wish, you know, I wish the band got to reciprocate some of that, like, yeah. elevated, elevated stature of prices and things. But anyway, um, no, I don't think it would be because, um, you know, like, same thing, like, is it the real copy? Then no, it's not as uh, not as special. Perfect. I'm going to take that as a uh, verbal contract to start yeah. the pressing plant up any minute. Yeah, Jack's going to hate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So the next category is uh, favorite debut album. What is it, and who's it by? Um, floating points. Sam Shepard. People who don't know the album, um, can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, it's called a, the album's called Elania. It's, um, I think he originally wanted always one track. Yeah. If I'm correct. Yeah, so that's to me is like goals. I hope one day that someone doesn't tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you should break that song into like seven tracks. Like <laughs> I'd be like, just because you said that, I'm going to put it out as one track, you know, like sort of thing. But it was, it was good that he did do that because I think it got, you know, a lot more people got to, there were probably, you know, there's a lot more fans that wish he didn't do that. But the exposure in the sense of some of those tracks that are like, deep in the album may not have been heard and there's like some tracks in there that are just masterpieces yeah but I think the um, the most like unassuming part of that album is the artwork like yeah yeah I never I always thought it was like oh why would he choose such a like a weirdly boringly bland design for the cover like it did, for such a beautiful album I was like I don't I don't understand like until I bought the record and then I and I opened it up and I read the liner notes about how the artwork was put together and um yeah I think he hooked the uh all the tracks he ran the tracks through one of those harmonographs you know where traces like big pendulum type thing isn't it yeah like traces yeah. like basically the tonal harmonic shape of the piece yeah. or whatever and I think he used that one of those pieces as the artwork from the for the album it's, yeah it's um it's a it's a it's a masterful album and it's, I think that he he's a pioneer in really taking like so many different instrumental forms into like new territories like he's very his electronic stuff's obviously impressive but i really liked that era of floating points with the you know the live band with the roads yeah. and the it's like a 
16 piece band, isn't it? A 16 piece group. Yeah. I, I haven't watched it in a while, but I think there was that, um, might've been the BBC, like a made of ale or something. Yeah. They all got in the room and they performed that stuff live. And it's just, yeah, still, still love it. So great. So you mentioned uh, about wanting this to be sort of one big long track and how that's sort of an ambition of yours. Like, mm. is there, presumably, would you do something like, I mean, different genre, obviously, but something like that uh, Dope Smokers record where it's like an hour and eight minutes <laughs> long or whatever, and it's just like one massive, ridiculous, continuous piece? Yeah, not not like that. I think I'd still need to have, I, I still respect like having a, you know, troughs and peaks and mm. like a, not so much of a drone for an hour and just like <laughs> building upon that. But um, yeah, I think not enough people are game to try it because of the way music's being consumed now. Like mm. people are releasing one or two track releases now because, you know, Spotify, people get a couple of tracks through the album and they stop listening, you know. So presumably then when you listen to an album, you very much go start to finish and you sort of go, okay, here's the flow of that album. This is how the artist wanted this to be heard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I know a lot of people say that, but it's true. I mean, I, I think that's the way it was intended. So that's just doing the artist the, the due right to be like, mm. this is how they intended it to be heard. So Floating Point's debut came out around the same sort of time as the Porn Crumpets debut. Mm. Looking back on your on that first album now, are you someone who's like able to enjoy the work you did on that or are you like hypercritical and when you listen back you just go, fuck, I should have done it this way or that way? Or Yeah, I think I am different to the other guys in the band because I can still listen to the first album mm. and enjoy it because I wasn't on the first album. So I only, okay. I only came in into it to fold in the second album. So I don't have that sort of level of, um, I think the guys like uh, just flat out refused to listen to the mixes <laughs> and like the tones and stuff. I mean, I think there's, there, I think there's a bit of beauty in how um, raw and personal the album sounds though. And I think that's why a lot of people have mm. really latched onto it because it, it sounds homely in um it sort of does sound like it was recorded the way it was not some high production studio album you know are you more like the guys then for the second album so the first one that you were on are you able to are you able to listen to anything you've created basically without constantly wanting to tweak it back in your mind or yeah that's the curse of every artist i think just can't Mm. avoid it um it's probably best just to, yeah, just not <laughs> just not go back and review and listen stuff. I uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day of James Blake talking to Rick Rubin about his his new stuff and whatever, and they were touching on his first album and yeah. how uh, James hadn't listened to it in like six years or something, mm. you know, at all until they sat down and listened to it and. I think they played like measurements or one of those really obscure pieces and they talked about it. And like, even in that conversation, like James is saying like, you know, I totally would never approach that song like that today, but I'm so glad I did then. And I wouldn't change it for anything. Like, even though you're so far removed from that headspace or, or how you put that together, like 
that's it's good that you did do that because you get to like reflect and you can like it's almost like a timestamp on where your mind was at or where your creativity was at and you can always look back and be like reflect and be like come a long way or like i've totally taken some wrong turns like yeah go back to the old way i don't know i can't remember who it was um it's a quote I heard from a musician a couple of years ago, which was uh, saying along the lines of an album isn't complete until you've played it live for 18 months. And he was talking about the idea that it, what you lay down on the record to what you end up playing sort of 18 months down the line is actually just completely different anyway. Because oh, like, yeah. you end up just tweaking over that time. And I thought that was really interesting as well, like translating it from the studio to a stage and thinking about how it works and just still just messing around yeah. with a bit as well. Well, that's why it, Crumpets has always been really fun in that respect because we always are constantly tweaking how the songs are arranged and performed, yeah. not just for us, but, yeah, for everyone, you know. Um, it's exciting when you're at a show and you're expecting it to go to that next um, structure of the song or that next piece of the song and then, like, the band just completely, like, throw your curveball and just start going down this other riff territory or like yeah we really enjoy doing that That's... do you do that from a oh this will definitely improve the song and this is how we should have done it first time point of view or do you do it from a this keeps it interesting when we're playing it point of view both 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 yeah both of those are like super valid yeah yeah definitely and if you're touring an album slash have a tour set list um planned out like hmm. for that year when you're gonna gig that into the ground like you don't want to get up there one night and be like can we change it up boys what do you reckon like should we <laughs> change a set list or like at least if you've got those really cool um uh intermit intermission like pieces and and strings between tracks like that's super like engaging and exciting as for us to do those sort of things as well yeah yeah that's really interesting like i think it's interesting talking to touring musicians that comes up quite a lot that idea that just if you're playing that set list into the ground is like a common theme i think from talking to people it's in, it's always really interesting that because you I think of it a lot as a, from sort of a punter standing the other side mm. and go, okay, well, this is the only time I'm going to see this band play these 12 songs in a row or whatever. But you forget that the band has done it every night <laughs> for 60 nights and they just oh, man. hate some of these songs by this point. Yeah, I don't think hates the word at all. Like, yeah, it's it's more like a... Um, it's more like a... Just a... a, a you're passionately wanting to make it just as exciting, I suppose, for yeah. the same crowd as you did the night before. So that's, I guess that's why you wear yourself out so hard on tours because you really like, you do have to give it everything every night because you know, people yeah. are paid to come and see it heard the same way that you played it to people the night before or you know, other places. So got to bring it. Uh, so the final category is artists who you own their complete discography. Um, who have you gone for? Yeah, I've gone for um, Bonnie Burr, actually. I have, okay. I have all of his records up to date, I think. 
I, I I even bought the the new um like re-release anniversary of the first EP. It's got that that four-track EP because then the side B they've um, they're chucked in like the the best like live takes of those songs they've picked up and they're like they're more they're so much more like expansive and like lush sounding than Justin's really raw somber like intimate versions of those songs so um yeah I I, I love I love chucking the headphones on and chucking the Boniver albums on they're just like they're insane they're just insanely lush like <laughs> pretty big influence for me I'd say yeah I had to Definitely had to own them all. When did you uh, when did you first get into the band? Um, I think same as everyone else. Like when he brought out that uh, first album, that um, mm. Forever Forever Ago album. So, do you have like a go to album from them, or is it certain situations you'll pick up different records from them, or is it just sort of jumble it all in at a go? Um, yeah, no, the self-titled album's definitely, for me, the best representation, I think, of what of what I like to think that Justin's done with that project, you yeah. know. I also have his, um, I don't know if you've heard Shouting Matches before. No. Um, that's his Blues Trio band. I've got that on record as okay. well. Um, this, this album's called Grown Ass Man. And I, I think anyone that's a fan of Justin that hasn't heard his blues stuff, like he has, he has like other other solo albums out on like a different moniker as well. But um, this shouting matches band, like you know, it's the classic drums, like low, small drum kit piece, like the big organ, the wailing guitars, Justin's raspy buttery voice you know like he he does no wrong in my books i think he's 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 been and he, you know he works with like kanye west and stuff like yeah he's basically done most things now like i just i i, I won't i think yeah not like acdc where i'm not like hanging out to listen to whatever they're gonna put out next like i think justin um bonnie ver like I'm always going to buy the next record, I think. I even, you know, some of the new stuff went pretty left of field in like an electronic way and like yeah. It's it's not music that I'm like super familiar with, but like it still has that same flavor and um I can really appreciate it still. So, I'm going to assume then that Justin's one of your favorite artists in general then and yeah, he's up there. I'd say he's definitely up there. Yeah, it's hard to pin Who down. Who else would you? Yeah, well, exactly. It's it's one of those things, and and this next question is going to try and make you pin them down. Mm. Who else would you um, have up there? I know you've mentioned Queens of the Stone Age already. Yeah, um, Blake Mills. I don't know if you're familiar with Blake Mills. Um, he's a producer, but he does put out his own music as well. What sort of stuff does he do? It it varies. I mean, he even put out a pretty 
experimental like four or five track album I think it was last year or the year before where it's just like big orchestral long notes and like there's just noise and just like like lush just like small arrangements and things and then it's got albums where it's just like the really um, somber singer-songwriter amazing guitarist amazing Hmm. vocalist he produced um he produced that really good alabama shakes album you know that sound and color yeah i think that was producer in that so that's his flavor is very much the flavor of that album yeah you know yeah and uh yeah things like james blake and i don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i'm just like utilizing a uh a meeting room here in the in the office before I go home. <laughs> <laughs> you did just suddenly fade into darkness. So yeah. I thought, oh, well, that's it, he's gone. But that's, no. Yeah, that was me wrapping up the interview there. Just fade away into the, <laughs> into the blackness. Very uh, very Batman way to, <laughs> to leave an interview. That would be pretty cool, actually, to disappear <laughs> somehow. <laughs> We've got to figure out how long the timer's on for now and we'll time it perfectly so we end it just as it goes out. Yeah. And I mean, we're not recording video on this, so this will make no sense I to I think anyone, it's pretty but... silly, but I think the, the, the lights after 5 o'clock here, or after 6 o'clock here, they just shut off every, like, five minutes unless someone stands up and waves their arms about. It's, like, it's a bit <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, I'd, uh, yeah. I mean, it, normally I, you could just take that as a hint to... That's it. Get you out. Just go. Yeah. Uh, what are you still doing here? <laughs> doing a podcast or something. <laughs> so when you guys are touring around as a band, like I picture all you guys like crammed into a bus and all the rest of it, is there like a fight for who gets to put on the music or are you guys all pretty in tune with each other no, in that it's, regard? It's great. Um I think myself and Rish definitely like to slink in a few more hip hop tracks here and there Mm. um okay jack jack's always got you know something obscurely new or old to chuck on yeah yeah no danny and danny as well like we all we all like to share tastes and albums and things and you know sometimes there's like uh one of those mornings in the van where everyone's feeling absolutely like a bucket of pebbles like Someone, someone can put on like, I don't know, just a, a, an album that no one else in the band's heard before or like a, hmm. something that just kind of brings everyone's moods back around and just engaged again with the group in that way. So, so how do you go about finding new music then? Is it a lot of it through recommendations through sort of the band and your friends and stuff, or are you like a big depender on like the Spotify algorithm or is it just, um, yeah, I'm not very good at this, the Spotify algorithms. I don't think I kind of get in traps of not listening to any new music on Spotify, but like yeah, able to find people's band camp links quite easily for new stuff. Yeah. Um, it's also handy to like, be able to flick some artists some money that way as well, you know, like yeah, yeah. immediate, you know, immediately drop something if you see it on like SoundCloud or something. I usually just go over to the Bandcamp, and then sometimes you know they'll write their uh, associated acts or yep. um, 
similar sounds and just end up like trolling other people's band camps, I suppose. So, yeah, not really, I'm, yeah, not really got my finger on the pulse of Spotify just yet. Oh, how to curate myself a perfect <laughs> playlist, but yeah, we'll, we'll get there. I think, uh, I think that bit you mentioned about going through bag camp so the bands actually get some money is probably quite an important one and one i don't think i realized quite as much until this year um obviously when band camp were doing that um that thing they do last friday of the month where yeah. they're like oh we actually give money to artists all proceeds all right is it all proceeds yeah yeah they they wait for their revenue share or something yeah mm. yeah it's been i mean it's yeah it's, it's really been helpful for me i mean i don't have any sort of following on my stuff so um uh yeah usually friends that like will chuck in a few extra bucks as well because they know mm. they know what it's about so cool okay we're coming up to the hour so i'm gonna wrap us up um chris thank you so much for coming on uh and thank you for jumping in as a last minute replacement no. as well no, thanks alex. really appreciate it that was great thanks alex it's cool it's a lot of fun so where can people pre-order the new porn crumpets album uh through all the socials you know, perfect. Well, I I believe we have a website, and it's, <laughs> I actually don't know if it's one of those websites where we can't write the word porn. But <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll put it. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, that'll be great. That will help. Yeah, it? yeah. Uh, where can people find your solo stuff? Yeah, it's also Bandcamp's socials. It's called Chip Hazard. Perfect. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and where can people find you and the band on social media? Do you have a, norm, uh, a name, a tag you use and everything? Yeah, I use Chip Hazard as my socials now because I can't manage more. I can't do more than one, you know. Like, let's be <laughs> real. I, I need to work out a way to get this phone out of my hands sometimes. So <laughs> having the band's socials as well as your own socials is already too, too many, so... Awesome. Thank you, man. I can't wait to hear the new album, by the way. Uh, I'm really excited. I've got my pre-order in already. Um, so I A little tidbit. Yeah, I actually did yesterday. I was listening to the test pressing yesterday, and it, it sounds... I'm really excited. I really love Tally Ho. Um, That's a banger. And I absolutely... I, I loved your... Uh, I'm going to presume it's not on the album. I loved your uh, Jungle Book cover. Oh, well. thanks. You did the Triple J. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, we played Tally Ho for that as well. Um, Tally Ho has become one of our most fun tracks for us to play live, and we're like, we're really enjoying it. Just hits, it hits hard. Some good riffage. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like it's like a it's like a super big, colourful song, and you know, I think if uh, twenty twenty needed anything, it was probably um, some big, colourful, happy music. Well. I think it's probably the perfect way to describe the new album. So it's, it's the sunshine coming back out, I think. I can't wait. And hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, you'll be able to get over to the UK at some point uh, and I'll come out and be able to catch the show as well. I mean, that by the sound of what's going on over here at the minute, that'll probably be about 2027 and you'll have four more albums out by then. But <laughs> I'm excited for it either way. Four? I don't know. That's some, that's some gives, <laughs> gives a territory there. I don't know if we can do that. <laughs> We managed to go through a whole interview about talking about Gizzard. Oh, damn it.
That was my chat with Chris. I'm really grateful for Chris giving up time to talk to me so close to Christmas uh, and in and amongst other stuff that he was doing as well. Uh, I really recommend as well that you check out his solo work as well as checking out um, the stuff that Psychedelic Porn Crumpets are doing. Uh, There'll be links to all of that stuff in the show notes as well. um, So you should get on that. Uh, So this is a new podcast. I think this is episode two. So that means I have to ask you to go and do that really fun thing, which is, you know, rate us, subscribe us, share us with your friends, do all that stuff. Um, And I know it's really boring and I know you hear it from every podcast you listen to. But the reality is that it does really help us and it will really help us get to more listeners. So if you could do that, that would be great. Um, However, I know that currently there's no real incentive for you to do that beyond just being lovely people. So I'm going to give you one um, and I'm going to be giving away the brand new Porn Crumpets record on vinyl to one lucky listener. All you have to do to enter is head on over to Apple Podcasts, um, leave us a review, and then email me a screenshot of the review you left to itsrecordtimepodcast at gmail.com. And then at the end of Feb, I'm going to pick out a winner, um, and they'll receive a free vinyl in the post. Um, So that's really nice, isn't it? All you have to do is leave a a quick review, so that's good. Um, So I think that's about it from me, to be honest. If you like the episode, please do share it with your friends. It does help us out a lot. Uh, if you want to email me about anything, you can on it's record time podcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at vinyl underscore underscore tap, where I post pictures of my albums as well as pictures of my cat. Um, that's that's it. So stay safe, everyone. I will speak to you again soon. Bye.